Good morning. How's everybody today? Praise God. Let's open up our Bibles to 2 Thessalonians. We're going to be going over verses 6 through 12. 2 Thessalonians 6 through 12. That's on page 989 if you're using one of the Pew Bibles, uh, one of the Bibles that we have available for you. And uh, let's see here before I get started. Make sure I got my notes set up right. I like having notes, though I don't use them sometimes, but sometimes I do. I just like to have them available so I can know where I'm going. Um, and you know me, I take off on different routes anyway. So, But in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we are still at the point where Paul is talking about the lawless one or the man of lawlessness. And uh, we didn't just jump into it. One of the things that I've been seeing on Facebook, and I haven't actually seen the sermons or heard the messages, but one of the things that I've, I've happened to see a lot is uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 has popped up in, in hundreds of videos and uh, messages and uh, sermons. And, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that they are pointing and looking at the Word of God and to see what, what is to take place. Now, I, I haven't heard, um, to, to be honest with you, I don't think I've heard any of those messages out there. And, and I would pray that they would do the same thing that Paul is doing here. He's not telling them these things to over-sensationalize or, or to make things even uh, more exciting or scare people into thinking of the Antichrist because uh, that, that's, that wasn't his intent. As a matter of fact, he was trying to calm the people's fear, kind of like the fear that is out there right now because once, once Hamas went to war against Israel and Israel went against Hamas and, and now the other nations that are going up against Israel, once that happened, many people, especially those that have gone to church for many years, they know that that uh, once the nations come up against Israel, that it is time for Antichrist to come and, and the rapture to happen and, and the church to, to be raptured in the end time. Everything kind of points to that. Uh, people are concerned, of course, of the pestilence and the diseases that are happening, earthquakes and wars and rumors of war and all these things. And, and as I've said before, one of the questions I constantly get, is it now? Are these the rumors of war and the things that happen? Well, well with Paul, remember, he's writing to a letter that uh, he's writing a letter to a church that is kind of brand new in a sense. He, he shared the gospel with them, had to leave because he was run out of town. And, and so he left and didn't know exactly what took place. He sends somebody to go find out what happened to this young church. And he comes to find out that they're growing, they're developing on the things that Paul had told them. And so there's a lot of things that he has shared with them. And one of the things that he shared with them is the end time. He shared with them on how Jesus Christ was going to come. Now remember, they didn't have the New Testament at that time. All they had was the Old Testament. So I'm sure that he shared with them some of the verses that we looked at last week in the book of Daniel. I'm sure that he shared things with them in the book of Ezekiel. I'm sure that he shared things, you know, of Zechariah. I'm sure that he shared some things of the Old Testament to show that these things must take place. And the man of lawlessness and how he comes in and Jesus himself said that, you know, when that time comes, this man of lawlessness, he will take up his seat in the middle of the temple. And so what Paul is kind of working through here, he's saying, you know, he's working on helping these individuals understand that it has not happened yet. Okay, they were concerned. Somebody wrote a letter. Somebody started speaking to them, talking to them that the G that Jesus Christ had returned and that the rapture had happened, and that's why they're going through these tribulations. They were going through a lot of tribulations. They were being persecuted because they loved Jesus Christ. They were being persecuted because of the the way that they maintained their morality and the scriptures and and how they 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 looked at and and studied the things that Paul had told them. So because they were devout Christians, they were 
were being persecuted and things were taken away from them. Their properties were taken away from them. Some of them were killed. Some of them were uh, probably beheaded. And so they were going through some severe persecution. And I'm just kind of inferring a lot of what might have happened that has happened to a lot of the churches of that day. And so they are in the understanding, well, Jesus Christ must have already raptured the church. He left us behind. And, and what happens to those that have died before, uh, before we got raptured? And, and so Paul in 1 Thessalonians talks to them about the rapture and tells them, you know, here's what's going to happen. The dead in Christ rise first, so don't worry about those that have passed away. And then you who are left behind will be caught up. Paul was not establishing a theology. He wasn't establishing a doctrine. He was just merely trying to comfort these people. And in the same, same manner, uh, what we're doing, as I said before, we started in 1 Thessalonians, you know, months ago. And here we are in 2 Thessalonians, right where all of this is taking place right before our eyes, where people are asking these questions. Has the Antichrist showed up? Who is the Antichrist? How can we know who he is? When, when are we going to be able to see him? Are, are we going to be able to identify him? I know who he is, many people said. Some people said that it was uh, Reagan. Some people said that it was Trump. Some people said that it was Obama. Some people say it was Putin. Some people said it was Hitler. Some, you know, and so everybody has their idea. And there are some people, as we'll see here in just a bit, that think it's just a, a force or a, an institution or a government. It, Antichrist isn't really a person, but as more as it is a uh, just an institution type of a thing, you know, like the church uh, or a different church or a government or a political leader, in a sense, moving this movement through. But have make no mistakes. Antichrist is a per, is a person. He's called the lawless man, a man of lawlessness. And we're going to look at uh, today on who he is and some of the things that must take place again, as we did last week. Last week we saw that number one, there's got to be a uh, first of all a rebellion, a great rebellion is going to take place. There's going to be an apostasy. There's going to be a, a you know the antichrist. Is, all these things aren't going to happen until all these things take place. Let's go over that again in chapter two, verse one, and then we'll dive into verses six through twelve in uh, in your Bibles. Second Thessalonians chapter two. He says, "Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him, we ask you, brothers, not." to be quickly shaken in mind or alarm, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter, seeming to be from us as to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. And he says, you know, don't, don't listen to these people. It hasn't happened. You, you know, as a matter of fact, I, I know that you're concerned and it's good that you're concerned. At least you're concerned and you're looking and you're, you're but, but don't be shaken, he says. Don't be or alarmed in your mind. And in verse 3, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember when I was still with you, I told you these things? And so all these things that Paul is Going back, he doesn't go back and rehash it all over again. He says, look, I, I told you guys these things. These things you should know. And this is why we have to remember. This is why we gather on a regular basis to remember. This is why we are encouraged to remember. To remember so we can encourage one another that the time has not yet come. We won't see Antichrist until, and Paul's going to tell us right now, we won't see the end time until uh, all these things take place. 
And there are a lot of things, as I've said before, there are a lot of things that, uh, that have already happened, like Israel becoming a nation, the, the readiness of the temple that needs to be built. Because here Paul is saying that Antichrist is going to set himself up in, a temple, in the temple as an object of worship. But there is no temple. So that temple has to be rebuilt. And so there's a lot of things that still have to take place. And we talked about that last week, and we can go over that some other time, or you can listen to the message online. But in verses 6 through 12, the rest of the part, this portion here, where he's talking about Antichrist, is what we're going to go into. And, and he says in verse 6, And you know what is restraining him now. So somehow they knew what was restraining him. They knew what it was that was restraining the Antichrist or the lawless one. As a matter of fact, Paul doesn't call him the Antichrist. It is John that calls him the Antichrist. But he's known, as we said before, by many different words, by many different names. The lawless one is one of them. And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Father in heaven, we want to thank you once again for your word. And as uh, we've stated before, and Paul is saying as well, these are words that are to be remembered. These are words to be encouraged by. These are words that we, we can hold on to, not to be frightened, not to build uh, a chart or a flow chart of how things are going to unfold. This, Father, is the the simple basic message of telling your believers, your loved ones, to not be shaken, not worry, because you're not going to leave any one of your people behind. Those that you have chosen, those of you called by name, those whom the Father had given you from the beginning of time, those that you've come and you've died for, and no one else, just those who are your elect. And we know this, Lord. And so help us to be encouraged by these words. Help us to be uh, ready and, uh, and able to be able to share with others that are frightened and wondering what to do next, how much food to buy, how, what to stockpile, things of that nature. So Lord, once again, we just thank you for your love and your protection and how you guide us in all things. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen, amen and amen. And so there is a picture of false doctrine that is, that is out there and it's attacking the personhood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And throughout history, people have come across and, and have attacked the church and have come up with all sorts of different dogmas and ideas. And, and part of it from the very beginning, uh, if you remember when we were talking back in Colossians and, and uh, even in, in uh, Galatians, there were a group of people called the Judaizers and they were Christians, but they said, yes, you are Christians and you are saved by grace. But you also have to practice the Jewish laws, the Judaizers. You have to be circumcised. You have to be follow the traditions. You have to follow the ceremonies. And Paul says, no, you've been saved by grace, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You don't need all these other religious things to happen. 
Now, if you're a Jew, yes, you continue to practice them, but don't be putting that on the Gentiles, though that means anybody else that's not a Jew. And people were coming to Jesus Christ and they were telling them, well, that's good that you came to Jesus Christ. That's good that you got saved. That's good that you got baptized. But now you have to do X, Y, and Z. And so these Judaizers were, pro, uh, were out promoting Judaism and trying to get more people to come to their side. And Paul says, you know, I would rather these guys just be cursed. He says, you know, how dare you follow another gospel? Like if there was another gospel, anybody that preaches, don't let, listen to anybody that comes to you, whether it's an angel or people that are say they're from us, you listen to the gospel that is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that you are saved. And Paul says, those people, they should be cursed and cursed to the, to the point where they think that, yes, you can be saved in Jesus Christ, but you have to say certain prayers, but you have to knock on a few doors, but you have to speak in a very mystical language, but, and, and, you know, and so there's all these different ideas of what it means to be saved. And this has been going on since the beginning of time. And there's a lot of apostasy. People are falling away, starting their own religions. Every religion, every cult, every God-hating cult, I guess you would say, they profess to know Jesus, they profess to know God, but you know, they always start off by saying, God told me. They always start off that way, and that's how a cult starts. That's how these wayward uh, religions start, by listening to man. We preach to you the Word of God, and I encourage you to have the Word of God in your hands. I provide for you a Bible to listen to the Word of God and look at the Word of God. We have this young man that comes up from time to time and says to me, okay, this is what you, what did you mean by this? And he's always checking me. He's always checking me. And uh, somebody, somebody uh, uh, very, very caring and lovingly gave him the name of a Berean, uh, studying the scriptures. But see, the, the gospel message, we're going to see here in just a bit, the gospel message is for those who need to be saved. And once people are saved, then you have these other people come in trying to do and work their own agenda. Trying to tell you, these are the things that have to happen. This is why I said during Reformation Sunday that, the, that when the church was trying to put on people these burdens and these laws and these restrictions, and the Reformation, what it gave us, it gave us back the gospel. The gospel is free. You don't pay for it. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. It is free. It is free. It is free. And the church, of course, at that time didn't like the fact that you, they were preaching it's free. You can't pay for it. You can't earn it. You can't work on it. You see, and, and it's interesting because, as we said last week in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we talked about how even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And it's no wonder that these false apostles and false prophets, these pastors of the churches, disguise themselves in such a way as well. And we can't understand as to why they would do such a thing except for the fact that they don't really believe that God's going to destroy them. And they want what they want now. And they receive the monies and the attention, the, the notoriety of people knowing who they are. Their names are up in lights and they're, they're traveling all over the world in their own private jets trying to make more money, I guess. <clears throat> and so this is, this is one of the things that Paul is saying that at the end time, we'll talk about this here in just a little bit. We talked about it last week. There, there's a huge deception that is going on within the church, within the churches. And God's going to send a delusion, a strong delusion within the church. Now, the world's already on its way. The world's already, you know, gone far, far away from God. And God gives them up and God hands them over. And God continues to say, you know, if that's what you want to do, then do it. You know, but the more you do it, the harder your heart's going to get. And the harder your heart's going to get, it's going to get to the point where it's almost a point of no return. 
But within the church, these angels of lights, they disguise themselves as these people that are say that they're doing well. But Paul is saying, look, you got to be careful with these people. There's certain things that must take place once again. And you, you need to understand, number one, that God is restraining the man of lawlessness. That God is restraining. You can't see this Antichrist. Now, the spirit of Antichrist is about. There's a lot of lawlessness around right now. There's a lot of ugly stuff that's going on in the world. There's a lot of things that, you know, that the law says, the biblical law says don't do, yet people are doing it. Don't know if you know this or not, but in the time of uh, the Israelites, there was this God that they would worship called Molech. Molech was a God that they sacrificed their children to. They had this huge brass statue. They would put the arms out like this, and they would scream, and they would shout, and bang the drums in order to keep the children's crying at a minimum. So they wouldn't hear the children that they would place on the arms of this altar to sacrifice to their God. And you know, it is the same thing that we have today with abortion. People are sacrificing their children to their God of selfishness, of self-desire, of, you know, it's me, it's my body, it's I, I do what I want. And this, this abortion that, that, that is so prevalently, and people are fighting for it, and, and I, I can't understand and how people just want to kill babies. And, and it is just a, a, an anathema that, to, to even think about that, that even idea who would want to do that except for somebody that is so seared in their mind into thinking, it's my body, I do what I want. And it was the same thing that was happening in the Old Testament. And see, in, in, in all this lawlessness that's happening, but you know, you think of all this ugliness that's going on. Paul says, there's going to be a time it's going to be worse. It's going to be, you think this is bad. You ain't seen nothing yet. Wait till lawlessness, the lawless one, is uh, revealed. But in verse 6, Paul says, And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. You know, this word restrain is to hold back, to, to hold down, to suppress. And, and there are a lot of people that think, you know, well, uh, because he doesn't identify him in verse 6, and you know what is restraining him. You know, it's, it's, it's a what. It's not a he. It's not a who. It's not a they or it's not a them. It's not a she or it's not. It's, it's a what. And so people think, well, maybe it's the church, maybe it's the government, maybe it's, uh, you know, other things, maybe it's Michael the Archangel. But one of the things about all those is every one of them have failed in holding back Antichrist and the lawlessness. And none of them, none of them can actually hold back the Antichrist. None of them can actually hold back what God is holding back. God the Holy Spirit is holding back. As a matter of fact, uh, in Job chapter 42, verse 2, God says, I can do whatever I want, and I'm going to do whatever I want because I am God. And Job says, yeah, I know. I know that you can do all things, that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. In other words, everything you've put into place is going to happen. Nobody can stop that. Nobody can thwart it. Nobody can, can hinder what you're going to do. Isaiah said say, basically the same thing. He says, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purposes. He says, I know the end and I know the beginning. I declared it and it's going to happen. And I know from ancient times and of things yet not to come. And all those things, he says, my counsel shall stand. I've already decreed it. I've already stated it. I've already said this is going to happen. And all I, I will, will, I will accomplish all my purpose. Everything that I will, everything that I want, everything that I should be. So God is not going to allow Antichrist to be revealed until that time. You see, Satan is chomping at the bits. He wants to just take over. He wants to just rule this world like he's always wanted to. And he wants to be able to, to just tear, tear everybody up. And, and he's not in hell like a lot of people think he is. 
He doesn't come from hell. As a matter of fact, in a little bit, I'll show you a verse where it says that, you know, this is where hell, hell was, was prepared for Satan and those that follow him. And there's nobody there yet except for at the end time before the millennial kingdom, that means a thousand year reign, that God is going to send Antichrist and the false prophet. They're going to be the first two that are there. And then afterward, Satan will be cast into this utter darkness. But you see, Satan can't move any further than what God allows him to. Satan can't go any further than what God says. I've already figured this out. I've already got it planned out. And I know you want to come on the scene, Satan, but not yet. He's not yet being revealed. And so God is restraining the man of lawlessness. And he's going to do so until the appointed time. Just like when Jesus Christ came. God knew from the very beginning he had to send Jesus. He had to send Jesus. And he knew he had to send Jesus to die on the cross. And as the world was getting worse and religions were coming up and all kinds of things were happening, Paul tells us in the book of Galatians chapter 4, he says, But when the fullness of time had come, God had seen it. Okay, it is time. And why it was that time of the year, and by the way, beloved, it wasn't on December 25th. I know many people are probably going to be disappointed. What? Jesus wasn't born on December 25th? No, we don't have his birth certificate. We don't know when he was born. We know where he was born. We know why he was born. We know to whom he was born. We, we know the circumstances around his birth, but we don't know the date. And that goes into a whole different story. I'll, I'll preach that on Christmas uh, during that time. But the fullness of time had come. In other words, God said, it is time. It's time to, to do so. God sent forth his son, born of women, born under the law. At that time, when the fullness of time comes, God is going to reveal who Antichrist is. Number two, it is the Holy Spirit who will reveal him in due time. It is the Holy Spirit. Now, people ask me, how, how do you get the Holy Spirit from this? If, if he doesn't say who it is, as a matter of fact, he says, what is holding him back? It's not saying a person or anything else. Well, look at this verse here in verses 7 and 8. He says, for the mystery of the lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until it is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth. Still doesn't give us the name, still doesn't give us the person, still doesn't give us who it is. And so there's been a lot of debate behind this. However, remember what we just read a little while ago. Paul says, you know, you, I've told you already what's, what's going on. You know who's holding them back. You know what's happening. You, you need to remember these things. This is why we have the Lord's table. We had it last week. You have to remember these things. That Jesus Christ died on a cruel cross, but we're going to share it with him again. This is why we come to church, so we can be reminded of our sin that has been taken care of. This is why you know these things. As a matter of fact, at some of the darkest and deepest, most demoralizing and depressed moments of people's lives, I come in and I say, but you remember, you know. You know that this world is not your place. You know that one day Jesus Christ is going to return, and those that have died in Christ that will be resurrected first, and then you're going to join them. And, and I try to encourage people with God's word because you know this, you know this, you know this. And this mystery that Paul says, it's going to be unveiled. In, in John chapter 1, excuse me, 1 John, 1 John chapter 3 and 4, he says this, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. There is this lawlessness that's out there, but the lawless one hasn't been revealed as of yet. As a matter of fact, in 1 John 2.18, 
John says, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. And then again, in 1 John chapter 2, okay, that, that's the wrong verse. <laughs> okay, in other words, uh, how about 1 John 4, 3? This is not in your outlines. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world. You see, John says, he's not here yet, but he's coming. The spirit of Antichrist is in this world. And there were people in the uh, New Testament time that Jesus Christ appeared and people would think, well, it wasn't really Jesus. And that was that other, that other teaching that we studied for a while in Colossians, the Gnostics, Gnosticism. Uh, Gnostics believed that, that God, you can reach God by visions and dreams and all these, you know, if God sends you an emanation, he sends you this pulse of his energy. He sends you this, this idea and everything that was created is, is from God's emanations. I mean, it just, it's just these pulses of emanations that come from God and boom, he sends one, he sends another and they turn bad. And one of those emanations that came down from heaven was Jesus Christ. And Jesus became uh, this figure like, you know, he, he looked almost human, but he wasn't. And there was this idea that Jesus was not actually flesh. He couldn't be. He couldn't be flesh because flesh is bad. And that's what they thought. Flesh is bad. Everything that you touch and see is bad. The only thing that really matters is your spirit, your mind, what you think. And this Gnostic thinking was this wisdom that you would acquire would get you closer to God. And the closer you got to God, God would speak to you in certain sentences and in visions and dreams. And, and they would interpret it to the people. And this is some new first century stuff, beloved. But it's stuff that happens even today. Uh, you know, I, I was on the internet once and I saw this lady just sitting there in front of her camera. She says, okay. And she's praying and she's praying and she's mumbling and gibberish coming out. And all of a sudden she says, all right. And she starts writing things down. This is what God told me. God shared these words with me. You know, beloved, if God is going to share words with anybody, okay, first and foremost, first of all, if it's genuinely God's word, then those words should be revered should be uh, memorialized, should be, you know, written down if it's actually God's word. And they should be added to the Bible. Oh, wait a minute. The Bible says, do not add any word to this book of prophecy. Anyone who adds to this word, the book of prophecy, the plagues of this book will be added to them. You know, and, and to believe that somebody is giving, it's this Gnostic thinking. You see, I'm wise. I'm smarter than you. I'm better than you. You don't get it. Well, you know, maybe you're not going to get it. All we need right now is this, is the Word of God. Amen? That's all we need. We don't need anything else. We don't need outside revelation. We don't need dreams and visions. We don't need somebody telling us uh, what God said to them to tell to you. You look at it right here. And this Antichrist, the spirit of Antichrist is everywhere. And he's coming and he's trying to, uh, the spirit is trying to, the spirit of Antichrist is trying to deceive people. And it is so much like what the church should be. That's why he is able to deceive people. But you see, the deceiver is being held back. This man of lawlessness is being held back by a person. By a person. And this person is the Holy Spirit himself. Look at these verses with me. They're not in your outlines. But uh, look at these verses with me, and this should be up on the screen. John 14, 20, 26. Jesus is right before he dies, right before he ascends into heaven, right before he goes. Uh, and the, his disciples in John, John 14, he, uh, chapter, chapter 14, verses 1 and on, he says, yeah, Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. 
In my Father's house are many mansions, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back to you to take you with me. And one of the disciples asked, so where are you going? Well, you know where I'm going. You know, you need to understand that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And as he's talking to them, yes, I'm going to leave you, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm leaving. I'm going. I'm taking off, but I'll come back for you. But I'm not going to leave you here all alone. As a matter of fact, in verse 26 of chapter 14, he says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. See, Jesus says, this is, this is a person. He, he's, he's going to be here. He's with you. He resides in your body. He resides in your heart. Again, he says it in John 15, 26. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And his responsibility is to bear witness about Jesus Christ. His responsibility is not to bear witness about himself. As a matter of fact, look at this next verse, uh, 16, 8. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That is his responsibility, to convict you of sin and righteousness. I've had people come, into, come up to me before and say, you know, Pastor, you preach some negative messages. Oh, man, yeah. You know what? That's the Holy Spirit convicting your heart. There's something going on in there that you don't like. You know, beloved, if something is said to you and uh, by the word of God and God's word is proclaiming it to you and you're listening to it and it's cutting your heart, do not run. Repent. Repent. Because the person that is hearing the word of God and the God's word is just cutting his heart. Those that are elect, they'll say, I, I am undone. I'm a sinner. Father, forgive me for, for, for what should I have mercy upon me? I'm a sinner, Lord. You see, you either run or you'll repent. And that's what the Holy Spirit is supposed to be doing. The Holy Spirit's presence is not because people are jumping up and down and yelling all kinds of gibberish, jumping from pew to pew, hanging on chandeliers. That's why we took the chandeliers up. No, and, uh, it's not because of what you experience or what you express. You know the Holy Spirit is present when your heart is being convicted. When your heart is being pierced, there is something wrong with my relationship with God. I, I can, you understand and you recognize that he has convicted you of sin and you cannot stand in the presence of God because God is a holy God. And every sin that I commit, even if it's just a little white line, even if I just take something that doesn't belong to me, it offends a holy God. And that sin has to be dealt with. And that sin has to be dealt with and it's going to be dealt with severely. And when God comes in his wrath and in his anger and in his righteousness, he is going to deal with that sin. And the, the repented sinner is going to be saved. But if you run, well, you're going to end up like the rest of the group that we're going to talk about here in just a bit. Verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Look at this. For he will not speak on his own authority. But whenever he, whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Once again, he, he will not speak on his own authority. He's not going to say what he wants to say. He's not going to be up there telling people, well, you need to speak in tongues. Well, you need to jump around. Well, you need to howl like wolves. I was just told just recently that he, this person was at a, at a church gathering and people were barking and howling like wolves. The Holy Spirit ain't going to tell you to do that. That's not, he, he doesn't want the attention. Look at this next verse. 
Verse 14, he will glorify me is what Jesus Christ is saying, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. You know that there are churches, denominations, and peoples that all they do is glorify the Holy Spirit. Just bring it to the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit get a dose of the Holy Ghost. What happened to Jesus? Oh yeah, Jesus died on the cross. But this is what has to happen. I, 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 beloved, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that that grieves the heart of the Holy Spirit. Because his responsibility is not to bring attention to himself. And anybody who does so is, is unbiblical. His responsibility is to bring people to the cross. That's, that's what he's supposed to do. Why? Why? Because it is the finished work of Christ. It is the finished work of Jesus Christ. Anytime Satan can take you away from what Jesus Christ has already done, he's won. Anytime Satan can cause your eyes to focus on any other person of the Trinity, you're done. Yes, God is awesome. Yes, the Holy Spirit is powerful. Yes, you know, he's the creator and he's the sustainer and he's the provider. But Jesus Christ is the one that we focus on because he is the one who died to take away the sin of the world, not the Holy Spirit. This is not one person doing three things. This is not, you know, a father, a, a child, and a, and a son. This is not one. This is not water, ice, and, and steam. This is one God and three personalities. You cannot put a handle on that. He operates as Father. He operates as Son, and he operates as Holy Spirit. Three individuals, as one, and that blows people's minds away. That blows my mind away to kind of comprehend that and understand that. But verse fourteen. If nothing else, you see, he, once again, a person, will glorify Jesus Christ, not me, Jesus Christ. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And Jesus will not tell, he will not have you do something that he already said he wasn't going to do. He he has this supernatural power to hold Satan back and check. The Holy Spirit has always battled wickedness in the world, addressing the wicked pre-flood generation. God declared in Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, Then the Lord said, My spirit, who? My spirit. You know, the the third person of the Trinity. My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120. Right before the flood, he says, you know what? I'm done. You guys can't be living 900 years anymore like Methuselah. You guys can't try to be living like six, seven, you guys just, the more you live, the more trouble you cause. <laughs> you ever heard that one? Yeah, you know, it's just like, the more, you know what, I'm just going to get rid of all you. And I'm only going to give you 120 years. Well, you know what, we figured out a way on how to sin with 120 years. Heck, many people learn how to sin when they're, by the time they're 30, right? <laughs> and Paul says, you know, excuse me, God says, I, I, my, my, my spirit, he says, my spirit is not going to contend with you guys anymore. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 7, Stephen, as he's preaching, he says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did. And you know what? He'll continue restraining and holding back the, uh, the Antichrist until that day happens. And this spirit that is out there, this, it's, it's already at work. Let me have you turn with me to Romans. The book of Romans chapter 8. Uh, I'm sorry, the book of Romans chapter 1. The book of Romans chapter 1 is on page 390, uh, I'm sorry, 939, 939. In the book of Romans chapter 1, and I just want to give you an idea of what it is that God has been doing and how he's been holding back this Antichrist, but this spirit of Antichrist is just everywhere. In Romans chapter 1, and this is coming out of the word of the, uh, word of the Lord, verse 
18. Let me make sure I'm at the right place. New glasses. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Here's God's wrath. God's wrath is already being revealed. People know that God's wrath is coming. They understand that. People instinctively, there is something within inside of a person that when they do something wrong, they know, they think, oh, God's going to get you. God's going to get me. Well, Paul says that it's being revealed. People see this already. Here, let me show you how it is, how it works. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Everything that has been made, everything that has been created shows the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaim His handiwork, Psalms 19.1. And the heavens are declaring, anybody that goes outside and you look up in the sky and the stars, you say, wow, that is awesome. That is great. There's got to be a creator. You look at the Grand Canyon and says, my God, look at this. There's got to be a creator. You look at life of a child, of a baby being born, something, someone. And, and you know, and it just, it, it makes me laugh when people say something to the effect of, you know, I really wanted to know what, what it is that I need to do next. So I asked the universe to show me a sign. <laughs> There's a lot of that going on now, by the way. It's been a, it, it, I hadn't heard that uh, often, but now I'm hearing it quite a bit. People are talking about asking the universe. Well, you know, God or whatever it is, but I, I asked the universe or your God, or whatever, and they they always qualify it. I ask the universe, God, you you know, whatever you want to call it. No, it's God, the creator God. Look what else happens. Look what else goes on here. For though, verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy things. People didn't want to worship God. They didn't want to worship the Creator, so they started worshiping creation. They made statues of people, of dead saints. They started making statues of, of birds. They started making statues of, of animals. They started worshiping all these other things instead of worshiping God. Oh, but, but we're worshiping God through these things. No. They're worshiping the creation. God is creator. You worship him and him alone. He is a jealous God. Look at the rest of this. Therefore, God gave them up. Why did he give them up? Well, because of what he just said. Because they, they, their, their ungodliness and their unrighteousness, they, they live by themselves. They suppress the truth. It's plain for them to see. And, uh, you know, they, 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 they're worshiping all these other creatures. So, so if you want to do that, God says, I'm going to hand you, I'm going to give you up. So I'm going to give you up to those things. Uh, therefore, God gave them up. You might want to circle that because that's going to come up again. In the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Now look at this next verse. And God, so for this reason, God gave them up. Why? Well, because of what they were doing. They, they exchanged the creation for the creator. They, they, they became very dishonoring in their bodies. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations 
for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, what did he do? He gave them up. Why? Because of what they were doing. God doesn't hate you. God doesn't just say, oh, I'm going to pick that one. No, God gives you up. If that's what you want to do, God says, I'll go, I'll go for it. Because he's going to give you up. And so, so that we're not confused or, or so you, don't, you understand that it's not just the unnatural relationships and everything else that's going on. Look at the next, next few verses. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind. In other words, a mind that just can't think any other way but in that manner. That's all they want to do. That's all they want to do. God says, if that's what you want to do, then your mind is going to be so seared and so cooked and so demented and so focused on just doing that. I'm going to let you do that. I don't want you to do that. To a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. Now look at this. Evil, covetedness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. You know, there's some things here that I'm sure that you haven't done and you won't do. And, and so you may say, well, that, that doesn't apply to me. You know, I'm not giving up my relationships for another man or a man and man, woman and woman. And, and you know, but, but you know what? If that's what you want to do, one more power to you. And, and maybe I might not murder somebody. But, you know, there's some other things here that Paul talks about. They are full of envy. Okay, envy. You know, it's interesting that Paul puts that right up there with the un, unnatural relationships that men and women have. It's, it's interesting that, you know, there's some things that we envy, we want. And this envy is, you know, I want it so bad that I, I not only want it, but I don't want you to have it. And we have this, this anger type of thing, you know, and if I can take it away from you, that's great. And then I can have it and you won't have it. That's the envy that he's talking about. And that's put up the, right there with everything else. Murder, of course, we know that. Strife. You know what strife is? Strife is, is causing some sort of division within the family, just causing, you know, arguments, you know, just going around back, back and forth, just causing strife. Just causing strife within the church, causing strife within your family, within your workplace, just causing this, you know, everybody to be mad at each other. It's interesting. God, God would put that up there with unnatural. And, and when we think about this verse here, most people focus on the unnatural relationships. But brother, let me tell you something, beloved. If you got any of this happening in your life, you're right up there with them. Uh, deceit. You know what deceit is? Anybody tell me what's deceit? Lying. Being deceitful. You know, uh, maybe not lying, but not telling the truth. I didn't lie. I just didn't tell the truth. That's deceit. You're deceiving. And you're, you're wanting to deceive. You want people to see you. And, you know, it's interesting that God would put that up there with unnatural relationships. And we focus on that part. Well, I'm not there. But did you read the rest of the chapter? This, this is what God's wrath is being revealed on, on deceit. Look at the next verse. Look at the next word. And maliciousness, again, is just causing all kinds of trouble. They are gossips. Oh, my God, gossips? Yeah, you know what? I think there's a lot of people here that, you know, uh, are going to probably stop, or they should, stop having coffee and cheese, I mean, cheesecake. Stop, <laughs> stop, stop going around and, you know, gossiping. And, and we gossip in a very, you know, godly manner. In, in a holy way sometimes. You know, you know, we'll come together and we'll say, you know, hey, did you hear what happened to Fulano de Tal? Uh, who? 
But I, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, well, what happened? Oh, well, let me tell you, brother. We need to pray for him. And I, I va el chisme. There goes the gossip. <laughs> and, and blah, 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 okay. And half an hour of talking about this poor brother. And I was, okay, well, let's pray for him. You know, once we've tore him down. But, you know, the gossip is intended to hurt somebody. And that sometimes we gossip about people because the more we knock people down, the better we feel when we stand up on, on top of them. We're standing higher than everybody else. It's interesting that God would put gossip right up there with unnatural relationships. Oh, look at this. He goes on to say, uh, not only are they, they gossips, slanderers, again, liars, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, fool, disobedient to parents. Whoa. Yeah, I had asked God to have mercy on me for that because I was disobedient to my mom a lot. And I, God, please have mercy on me. I asked my mom to forgive mom. I, I understand now. Now that I got kids of my own, I understand now. And uh, she says, okay. She, she'd always tell me that, me la vas a pagar. You're going to pay for it one day, watch. You're going to pay for it. Me la vas a pagar. I don't even know what you're talking about. Okay, now I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I told you. This is going to come back to you. She called it karma. But no, it's this. <laughs> Being uh, disobedient to parents. Foolish, faithless. I mean, just being foolish, just acting the fool without any faith in God. Heartless, ruthless. You know, this is the wrath of God being unfolded. And, and you know, one of these things that we don't understand is that some of the things that we do, kidding around, ah, yeah, I was just kidding. I was just fooling. You know, that was ruthless, though. That was just mean. Yeah, but you know, I was just kidding. No, you weren't. If it comes out of your mouth, it's because it's in your heart. Whatever comes out of your mouth, it's what's in your heart. And in relationships, that's one of the things that damages people. You can't unpop a balloon. Once you've said it, it's done. You can't unscramble an egg. You can't unring a bell. Once it comes out, it doesn't matter how many times you try to apologize. And, and you know, people will say, okay, yeah, well, whatever. But it keeps coming up and it keeps coming up. And it, why? Because that's what's in your heart. A critical heart will have a critical mouth. A hateful heart will have a hateful mouth. A cussing heart will have a cussing mouth. And it, it you know, oh, please, please forgive me. I'm a work in progress. Beloved, you have a new heart. You're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And it's interesting that God puts that up there with those people that we look, bad, we look down on. You know, but, but that's their thing. You know, and you know what? It's okay if they want to be that way. You know, I, I'm, I'm fine with it and, and I'm good. Go ahead and continue. Oh, oh wait a minute. We didn't finish the chapter. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Well, what am I going to do? Don't give approval, for one. Don't give approval. You know, it's okay. No, it's not. You see, because the word of God is true. And, and, and the one thing that's going to happen is one day when, when uh, Jesus Christ returns, he's going to take care of Satan. He's going to take care of all these things. And you know what? Not only Satan, but those who follow him. Number three in the back of your outlines. The man, uh, man will refuse to love the truth. Man will refuse to love the truth. Second Thessalonians 9 and 10, as we go on, continue on with the chapter. The coming of the lawless one is by activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and to be saved. You see, beloved, there's going to come these false activities, these false signs and false, not that they're false, not that they're fake. They're real. 
there, these things are going to happen. These faults, these signs that are going to happen, they're going to happen. These miracles are going to take place. They're going to take place. And these wonders that they're going to be doing, they're real. It's not a trick. It's not a sleight of hand. They're real things. They're false in the effect that they go against God. Only God can do these things. Matter of fact, this is why we look at the Word of God. For all those people that you know that always say, you know, if God would just show me a sign, if, if God would just come down and speak to me, if I can just see something miraculous, if I can just see a wonder, you know, something that I've been wondering for a long time, if I can just, just, just grab something from God, if you can just show up right here, those are the ones that are going to be fooled first. Those are the ones that are going to say, oh, wow, he did it. He must be from God. He must be. And, and beloved, we don't need those signs and wonders and miracles anymore because that was just to authenticate what God was doing through Jesus Christ. People didn't know Jesus. They hated Jesus. He was just a, a carpenter's son. And he was born, supposedly, to a virgin Mary. You know, that's what, the, that's what they said. You know, really? You're, you think, you're saying you're like God? Okay, there's, there's something not right here. And so what God had to do was authenticate his power through Jesus. And as Jesus authenticated his power, people began to believe. He raises the dead. He cures the leopard. He causes the deaf to hear, the blind to see. Three things that they knew Messiah was going to do when he got here. Three things. The miracles that Messiah, only Messiah could do, because nobody else can do this. Number one was raise the dead. He raised Lazarus. He raised the widow's son. He raised a few other people. He raised people from the dead. Number one. Number two, another thing that, he, that people couldn't cure, only God can cure, was leprosy. No matter how much all these other uh, magicians and people try to cure leprosy, leprosy was only cured by Jesus Christ. A third thing that they were waiting for Messiah to come to do was to cure a person or to heal a person that couldn't hear. Because the spirit, according to what they believe, the spirit, the demonic spirit that was in that man wouldn't come out because he couldn't hear the audible voice of the exorcist that was trying to get that spirit out of him. And because only God can do that, that's why they were waiting for Messiah. Only God can do that. And so a deaf, a, a deaf or mute, I'm sorry, a dumb person or a deaf person, he was not able to hear and so therefore not be healed. But Jesus healed him. Three things to prove that he was Messiah. And yet they still not believed. They still didn't believe. The coming of the lawless one. You know what, let me just move on to the last, the last point. Because there's a lot more that I want to share with you. But number four, God will release a strong delusion. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. People just aren't going to believe. And because they didn't believe, God's going to send them a delusion, a stronger delusion. And so when Antichrist comes, that's exactly what's going to happen. Now, now see if you can picture this in your mind, in your mind's eye. Paul's already talked about the rapture. Well, here's what's going to happen. The dead in Christ are going to rise first, and those of us who are left behind, we're going to be caught up. Paul is trying to calm the people's fears. This is it's how it's going to happen, okay? Okay, I, you know, he doesn't have a whole lot of verses to go by. He doesn't share a lot of He just says, look, I taught you this already. This is what's going to happen. And, and before that happens, these things must take place. And so here we are, the rapture takes place, and, and there, are, there are no signs for the rapture, remember that. All the signs point to the end, and everything happens at the end time. And the end time happens seven years after the rapture. The, the rapture happens, a seven-year tribulation, and then the end time. But the, the rapture, there is nothing to point to that specific event. As a matter of fact, the rapture is 
a sign. And so therefore, everybody is raptured, all the Christians on the world. People are looking and seeing, hey, what happened? You know, I have it here on video. He was sitting right there, and all of a sudden he's gone. What, what took place? The cameras uh, in hospitals and restaurants and, you know, all these cameras all over the place, they're going to be going over them and looking at it. Wow, they, just people just disappeared. You know, children at school and thousands of people, millions of people are just going to be gone. Boom. Just like that. This strong delusion, Antichrist shows up. Okay, don't worry about it, guys. I know what happened. And here's what happened. And he's going to explain it away with this delusion. People are going to say, oh, okay, well, you, you seem to be a pretty smart guy. You seem to know pretty much a lot of things that are going on. He says, yes. As a matter of fact, I'm going to make everything better. Everything's going to be good. And what we're going to do is we're going to continue on in life. And, and that's what happened. And we're going to try to make sure that this doesn't happen again. We're going to and whatever. I don't know. I'm just imagining on how it could happen. But I know that there's going to be a delusion. The Bible says so. People are going to be deceived. Their eyes are going to be closed. And they're going to be listening to Antichrist. The Holy Spirit is not going to be working as he was before because he's taken all the Christians out. There are going to be people that are left behind. They're going to see, wow, this is not right. And three years, three and a half years into this tribulation, that's when Antichrist is going to show his fangs and his, well, not real fangs, but that's when he's going to show his evil intent on what he is to do. And so this delusion that people receive, they're going to believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth. For those that did not want to believe, for those that God continued to hand over and hand over and hand over, you want to go that way? Go ahead and go that way. If that's what you want to do, then do it. As a matter of fact, I'm going to do something for you, so I'm going to get the Christians and the church out of the way so you can do whatever it is that you want to do. Now you don't have anybody telling you that that's wrong, that's a sin. The Bible says, go for it, if that's what you want to do. And it's interesting because in the book of Revelation, it tells us that there are people that are going to be left behind, that their eyes are going to be open all of a sudden. They're going to say, you know what, I, I don't want to do this. This is not where I wanted to be. I blew it. I messed up. Well, the, the Bible says that he gives you another opportunity. However, when it comes to the three and a half years, and Antichrist sets himself up in the temple, and he calls everybody to worship him, if you don't worship him, then your head is going to be required. You're going to be martyred. You're going to be killed. And that's how you're going to be saved at that time. Now, if you, if you really value your life that much at that time, you know, unfortunately, people are going to say, okay, okay, whatever. I'm, just, I'm not really going to do this, but I'll do it just so you get out of my house. I don't want my kids hurt. Whatever the case may be, I'll do it. But in three and a half years, then everything else is just going to, all hell is going to break loose, literally. The four horsemen of the apocalypse that we talked about in Revelation. And it's all going to, it's all going to end in such a way that has, given, has been given to us in Scripture. And most of you know a lot of these things already. You instinctively, you've heard them, you understand it. And, and you know, and I don't, I don't want to leave you with this dire understanding because it was never intended to frighten anybody. It was never intended to scare you or to build a theology or to build charts. Paul was trying to calm the fears of the people there, trying to help them to understand, look, it hasn't happened yet. These things must take place first. But because of the, because, because of the circumstances that we're in, in our culture today and in our history and Israel and all that's going on, then there's a lot of buzz going on about these verses here that we systematically just happened to be at right when all this happened. And so it, it, it begs the, the opportunity to, to explain a lot of this stuff. 
But I don't want to leave you there. I want you to turn to verse 13, the very next verse. Okay? See, after, after, after verse 11, Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may uh, believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who do not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. See, you're not like those that don't want to hear the truth. You're not like those that don't want to abide by their own ideas and their own philosophies and their own world ideas, but you abide in the truth. To this He called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. And I really, really just wanted to get to that point, first and foremost. But I had to take you through what Paul is trying to warn us about. Because this is key. This is the reason Paul wrote this letter. But we ought Always to give, I give thanks for you. And every time you show up, and every time you come, and you listen, and you pray, you questions you have, and you read your word, you come to the Bible studies in the morning, you come to the Bible study on Wednesday nights, you're coming to Bible studies on Saturdays for the men, and just the various things, I, I, I always give thanks to God for you. Because, as I've said before, that indicates your desire, your desire to want to know God more. That indicates your salvation. That indicates, yes, we are not quite there yet, but I want to learn more. I, want to, I don't want to run away. I want to run too. I want to repent. I want to understand more as to what God desires of me. And it's unfortunate that many people, many churches are going by what people say. I have this story, I have this idea, I have this experience. This happened to me, this can happen to you. But what does the Bible say? Well, you know, I'll, I'll read the Bible. What about Jesus Christ? You know, he, he died on the cross for us, but and people don't focus on the finished work, the salvific work, the job that Jesus Christ came to do, the purpose as to why he came. And that, that is my responsibility, beloved, to share that with you. And you know, it's unfortunate, a lot of people don't want to hear that. They would rather hear what, you know, tell me something good, something positive. Well, I will. I will tell you something positive. You know, and let me just, uh, we, we saw this verse this last week in John chapter 6. Turn there with me. Very quickly, and I'll conclude with that. I think James, uh, James, our brother, not James, the, the gospel, <laughs> he kind of knows where I'm going. And Jesus Christ had just talked to them about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And a lot of them were, wow, you know, in verse 60, John 6, 60. It says, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? You know, Pastor says, oh, that's a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Does this offend you? <laughs> Is what I'm telling you offending you? You have been offending God all your life. And now I'm telling you something that God has said, and that offends you? Okay. Does this offend you? Then, what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was? And he goes on to say, you know, if you, you want to leave too, 
then you need to leave as well. And they said to Jesus, we don't have anywhere to go. You have the word of truth. Get into your word. Look at the word of God. Does it offend you? Well, that's, that's good. It should. Because that just indicates there's something in your life that needs to be corrected. Don't run. Repent. Does it offend you? Yeah, well, it should. It, it should be offensive. Jesus was never there to make friends. Matter of fact, they killed him for sharing the truth. They crucified him. They brutally beat him. They tried to shut him up. But he became the savior of the world. Let me ask you to stand. We're going to go through these next verses that I just read at the end, 13 through 50, but we ought always to give thanks to God. Encourage you, as Paul had intended to do. However, what he had said, he had, he had already taught them. He said, I, I remember I, ta- I taught you guys these things. So he didn't get into the whole specifics. So we had to go through that to see what it was that Paul was sharing. And so we have a general idea. I mean, there's much, much more. There, we have a general idea of what he was talking about. But he wants you to be encouraged. Not distraught or depressed or dismayed. But he wants you to be victorious. He wants you to know that you can stand on the promises of God. And Father, we thank you for, for the promise that one day you will return. Just like you said. You, you've gone to prepare a place for us. And if you go away, you're going to come back. To take us to where you are. And we will be with you. Because in your Father's house there are many mansions. And you've gone to prepare one for us. And we know that you are the way, the truth, and the life. That no one can come to you. And no one can come to the Father unless we come through Jesus Christ. And so this morning, if nothing else, Father, help us to realize that we do live in a sinful world. The spirit of lawlessness is all around us. The wrath of God is being displayed. And there's so much already that we see. Many of these verses applied to our very situation today. And I pray, Father, that we can learn from Him and grow from them. That you help us to grow, to become more like Jesus Christ. We're ready, Father. We're ready to be taken. We're ready to be lifted up. But we know we have a lot of loved ones that have yet not heard the gospel message or are not listening. They've heard it, but they have not applied it. So I pray, Father, that you help us to make it relevant, make it real in their life. The the relevancy is irrelevant. We have to make it real in their life to, to recognize that each one needs a Savior. And so, Father, we thank you once again for your love and your direction and all that you give us. Dismiss us now from this place, but never from your presence, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone says, amen and amen. All right, thank you. Stick around for some fellow shaping. We've got some goodies next door.